Funding for this edition of Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been provided by Bank of America, PSENG, committed to providing safe, reliable energy now and in the future. Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, here when you need us most, now and always. The New Jersey Economic Development Authority. Choose New Jersey. The New Jersey Board of Public Utilities Clean Energy Program. The Fidelco Group. Johnson & Johnson. And by Caldwell University. Promotional support provided by New Jersey Globe. And by New Jersey Monthly, the magazine of the Garden State, available at newsstands. Hi, Steve Adubato, and we uh, welcome back right out of the box our good friend Bill Spruill, who's Executive Secretary, Treasurer, Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters. Good to see you, Bill. Good to see you, Steve. Hey, Bill, can we talk infrastructure? We're taping on the 20th of July. Lots of stuff going down in Washington that's confusing the definition of infrastructure. What is it? What isn't it? Define it, and why is it so important, particularly in the region we live in? Okay, well, I got to tell you, infrastructure is something that we've been hearing about, I guess, most of my adult life and, and my career in the Carpenters Union. And it's something that I think most Americans feel as though has been neglected. When you look at some of the other modernized countries around the world, some of the rail systems, uh, the air traffic control systems, just everything that, that is necessary to have a, a successful, thriving economy revolves around infrastructure. Um, President Biden recently visited our Pittsburgh Training Center to announce his American Jobs Plan. And you were there that day, weren't you, Bill? Plan. Yes, sir. I yes, remember. Sir. It was a great honor uh, to have him. And uh, actually, the, the Secret Service came in a couple days earlier with very short notice, but uh, it was great to have our team be able to host that event at our training center and hear such a, a significant announcement about a potential plan that can take our nation where it really needs to be you know, over the next uh, 30, 50, 100 years for future generations. Let's talk specifically about jobs. What kind of jobs are we potentially talking about, Bill? Well, you're talking about bridges, highways, roads, Airports, ports. Is the Gateway Tunnel in that? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's approximately $11 billion. And as we know, that project kind of fell off the tracks, no pun intended, uh, under former Governor Christie's administration. And uh, we're just happy to see that it, it looks like uh, we may even see shovels in the ground by next uh, fall, if we're lucky. I know you're not a betting man, but if I were to press you, the Gateway project so critical, not just the New York, New Jersey region, but to the entire country, particularly the eastern seaboard. A, do you believe it will happen? B, when could you foresee it actually being built? I absolutely believe it's going to happen. Um, it's been too long. 
the tubes that go under the Hudson right now are, I, I believe they're, they're over 100 years old. And God forbid something were to happen where one or all of them were shut down. Imagine what that would do to the economy of New York City, northern New Jersey, the whole, the whole Northeast for that matter. So it's critical that this project is key and at the forefront of the infrastructure plan. And I do believe that we are going to see some activity as far as preliminary construction, perhaps by year's end, and, and the project's going to happen. Hey, clean energy. We're involved in a clean energy initiative uh, promoting, I shouldn't say promoting, creating greater public awareness around clean energy. What the heck does clean energy have to do with the carpenters? By the way, the carpenters are, in fact, uh, to fully disclose, an underwriter of our, um, not just our energy programming, but overall public policy program. Go ahead, Bill. Sure, Steve. When, when you talk about clean energy, uh, primarily what comes to mind is solar and wind. Okay, and, and both types of energy are produced uh, without affecting the environment like other types of uh, energy production. So with the, I'll start with solar, um, land-based or roof-based solar systems uh, have a significant amount of installation required that, uh, you know, the carpenters get involved with that work. Uh, there's some other trades as well. Uh, obviously, the IBW uh, has a lot to do with that. International type of Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. We know the 102 folks very well. With, with the electrical systems involved in that. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of solar happening right now. And it was extremely popular in New Jersey when there was a uh, favorable SREX program. And I think right now... Hold on, uh, there's a lot, a lot of acronyms here. The SREX program was the program having to do with reimbursing folks who are actually building solar panels, right? Yes, sir. Solar renewable energy credits. Yeah, and then, I had that on the tip of my tongue. I'm joking. I'll use, I an, I'll use another one too, OREX. And, and Don't that's, do OREX. Uh, oh, you can't do OREX if you just did S. No, what is OREX? Uh, OREX is, um, I, I believe it's Look at Bill. Don't get renewable yourself in a box. Credits. What is it? <laughs> offshore renewable energy credits. Why does it matter? Um, it matters. And, and uh, don't quote me on that second one, but that's I, I'm taking a stab at it. Uh, the offshore wind projects that you're going to see, okay? There's been several mega, thousands of megawatts already awarded. There's other areas that are gonna be leased and there's companies that are scrambling to be a part of this. And basically what's gonna happen there, Steve, is there's gonna be a crew of tradesmen that are going to work offshore installing the foundations for these massive turbines, as well as erecting the towers, the blades, the cells. And that also involves our people from the pile drivers and the millwrights, which are specialty trades within the United Brotherhood of Carpenters and Joiners. So we're extremely excited about that new technology. Thus far, we've only built these on land. So uh, there's a small project up in New England that our colleagues up there were involved in off of Block Island. But you're really going to see this industry take off. And what's significant about it is not only the offshore construction work that's going to occur, but there's a massive amount of interest in setting up manufacturing right here in New Jersey 
that is going to create thousands of construction jobs as well as thousands of manufacturing jobs. Bill, sorry cutting you off. By the way, developers like Orsted and Atlantic Shores are working with the unions to find a train finding trained workers to fill these jobs. It just, it's interesting. By the way, check out NJ Spotlight News, news every night because they're doing a lot of work on clean energy. Real, last question before we go. What the heck is this issue with the misclassification of workers and its impact on the state's economy? Give me 30 seconds. Yes, sir. Um, misclassification of workers comes in all shapes and sizes, but basically what goes on is there's an underground economy where construction workers are paid off the books. And it used to occur on small projects, but now we're seeing more and more larger projects where there's 100 or 200 workers. Uh, it basically erodes the construction industry. It takes well, hold away- Hold on, Bill, I wanna be clear. They don't hire them as employees. They hire them, hire them as contractors, which has implications as to whether it's really under, under the books, uh, under the table, on top of the table, it, it affects state revenues. And how does it affect the labor industry? Well, they hire them off the books. Sometimes they classify them as independent contractors, but I don't uh, ever see the 1099s actually go full circle where taxes get paid. So you've got local, state and federal taxes, as well as unemployment, disability insurance payments. Will the rest of us pay? We pay, and, and these contractors that utilize these unscrupulous techniques to uh, manage their job sites and their subcontractors are basically stealing from the taxpayers, Steve. And this problem has to be solved. Otherwise, the construction industry will go to hell in a handbasket. Hey, Bill, thank you for educating us every time you join us. Best to you and your members um, at the Council, Regional Council of Carpenters. All the best, Bill. Thank you, Steve. Great talking to you today, sir. You got it. I'm Steve Adubato. Stay with us. We'll be right back. To see more Think Tank with Steve Adubato programs and to listen to Think Tank with Steve Adubato, the podcast, visit us online at steveadubato.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD, And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. Every day, nearly 2 million customers across New Jersey rely on PSE&G to provide natural gas. And every day, PSE&G is committed to doing it safely. That includes making sure you know what to do if you smell gas. A natural gas leak smells like rotten eggs. If you suspect a gas leak, leave your home immediately. Get far away, then call 911. Remember, smell, leave, call. Protect the ones you love. Learn more at pscg.com slash gas safety. New Jersey's Clean Energy Program offers financial incentives for New Jersey residents, business owners, and local governments to help save energy, money, and the environment. Learn more at NewJerseyCleanEnergy.com or call 1-866-NJ-SMART. New Jersey's Clean Energy Program. We're lighting the way to a clean energy future. We're now joined by Dr. Ami Vedia, who is co-chief of the Division of Gynecologic Oncology and vice chair of the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Hackensack Meridian Health. Good to see you, doctor. Hello, good to see you, too. There's so much confusion, so much misinformation out there. Before we do the HPV, right, the whole vaccine issue regarding that virus, um, could you help us understand something as it relates to COVID vaccine 
and women and pregnancy or the, the ability to be pregnant? What's the connection, if any? There really is no connection. There's been a whole slew of rumors floating around. And unfortunately, these rumors have taken a life of their own. And I think building on fear and natural apprehension for something that's new, um, people have really uh, fed into some of this. And there really is no scientific basis uh, for some of these rumors that have started. We need more accurate information like that. Um, HPV stands for, the reason I'm saying it, because I'm not going to make a, I'm not going to incorrectly pronounce this. Go ahead. Human papilloma virus. How common? Extremely common. Up to 80% of individuals at some point or other have been exposed, I'm talking men and women, to this particular virus. What do you mean men and women? I talk about misconceptions. I thought it was an issue that was disproportionately impacting women. No, it actually isn't. Um, HPV has been shown to be linked as a causative agent in a number of different cancers. And we know the most about HPV with regards to cervical cancer, where more than 90% of cervical cancers are driven by changes that are happening from HPV, this virus, on cells of the cervix. But we also know that over 60% of vulvar cancers, 75% of vaginal cancers, all also driven by HPV. Yes, those are organs that women have that men don't. But 90% of anal cancers, over 60% of penile cancers, um, and if we start looking at the head and neck, tonsillar cancers, uh, cancers of the base of the tongue, cancers involving the oral cavity overall, these all have been shown to be linked and associated with HPV. The vaccine, the HPV vaccine, who should get it and why? So in 2006, the FDA approved the first HPV vaccine, which it targeted toward adolescent and young women. Okay. And so in 2006, um, Merck put out a vaccine that covered four different strains of the HPV virus. Shortly thereafter, in 2009, the FDA approved that male adolescents and all young adults, along with female adolescents as well, of course, should be receiving this vaccine. By 2014, uh, Gardasil came out with what's called a nanovalent vaccine, which included the original first four strains put out by Merck, but five additional HPV high-risk strains. So that where we are right now is we are recommending this vaccination. Our target range is for young adolescents, boys and girls, ideally 10, 11, 12 years of age. The vaccine is approved from ages nine up through age 45. So hold on one second. We have a daughter turning 11. Yes. She should She's be a candidate? Excellent candidate. So to parents right now watching who are either hesitant or resistant regarding their children, you say what to them? Well, the simple answer is this is an incredibly powerful vaccine, one of a kind in a way, that is able to prevent a large number of cancers that can affect both men and women. Get your kids vaccinated. We can spend some time and talk about some of the misconceptions. To start off, many people think that the HPV, um, that HPV has, the vaccine has not been officially shown to prevent cervical cancer. And that misconception came about because some of the early, early studies on the vaccine looked at preventing precancer. But since the vaccine has been approved now for over 15 years, we have a tremendous amount of data that shows us that cervical cancer rates in vaccinated individuals have decreased. So for example, in the United States, 
nearly 30% reduction in cervical cancers identified in women under the age of 24. There's been about a 13% reduction in cervical cancers identified in women ages 25 to 34. And recently, just this past year in the New England Journal of Medicine, a really interesting study coming out of Sweden where they've got um, long-term follow-up showed an 88% reduction in cervical cancer in those individuals, those girls that were vaccinated under the age of 17. So we've got great information that counters this idea that the vaccine doesn't really prevent cervical cancer. It does. Another misconception, well, some people have said, well, why don't we just get pap smears? Pap smears are enough to prevent cervical cancer, aren't they? No. No, they're not. So pap smears, extremely wonderful screening tool, some limitations, but has really helped in our fight against cervical cancer. But pap smears identify cervical cancer. They don't prevent it. HPV vaccine tries to prevent it. In addition, pap smears don't identify any of the other anogenital cancers that we know are HPV driven. Um, nor do they identify any of the oropharyngeal or some of the head and neck cancers that we're seeing driven by HPV. So really, pap smears alone are not, are not doing the trick. Um, one, one more, because there's a time issue. I want to be real quick on this. Let, let me ask you this. It's a bigger, it's not a bigger question. It's a different question. Um, uh, HMH actually has a physician leadership academy that you well know I, I, I teach in. And one of the biggest areas we, we focus on is on the, the need for physician leaders to communicate more effectively. How important has effective communication become for you and your colleagues as physicians beyond simply clinical expertise, which is not a simple thing in itself? Well, I've always thought that at least 50% of what we do as physicians involves communication education, right? We're partnering with our patients. We want to try to help prevent disease. And the only way we can do that is if we can take the time and educate those patients that are coming to see us, whether it's parents, whether it's children, about the benefits of, you know, we're having a whole conversation about HPV vaccine, but there are tremendous benefits to receiving good quality healthcare in ways that have made a difference for people's quality of life. Next time you join us, let's talk about social determinants of health and a whole variety of other topics. Dr. Vady, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Stay with us. We'll be right back. To see more Think Tank with Steve Adubato programs and to listen to Think Tank with Steve Adubato, the podcast, visit us online at steveadubato.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD. And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. Every day, nearly 2 million customers across New Jersey rely on PSE&G to provide natural gas. And every day, PSE&G is committed to doing it safely. That includes making sure you know what to do if you smell gas. A natural gas leak smells like rotten eggs. If you suspect a gas leak, leave your home immediately. Get far away, then call 911. Remember, smell, leave, call. Protect the ones you love. Learn more at PSCG.com slash gas safety. New Jersey's Clean Energy Program offers financial incentives for New Jersey residents, business owners, and local governments to help save energy, money, and the environment. Learn more at NewJerseyCleanEnergy.com or call 
1-866-NJ-SMART. New Jersey's clean energy program. We're lighting the way to a clean energy future. You've just seen video from the Count Basie Center for the Arts, and we are joined by their president and CEO, Adam Phillipson. How are you doing, Adam? I'm doing great, as great can be. We're hanging in there, just like everybody. You're hanging in there. Listen, what we just saw is just a piece of what's going on down at the Count Basie Center for the Arts, an iconic institution, um, struggling, thriving, what? Kind of all, actually. I mean, you know, did a lot of, uh, lot of thriving, uh, from the struggle. I mean, like everyone in the arts, we were the first to close and will be the last to open. Uh, but, you know, despite that, there's just been, you know, the proverbial pivot, but also growth, building, preparing, partnering. There's just been so much that we've been doing in this downtime to get ready to, uh, to live up to the reopen. You know, I'm obsessed by the whole idea of innovation for leaders of nonprofits, organizations like yours, like ours. But a drive-in, you 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 what you would you, you, you create a drive-in? What did you do? Build one? Yeah, I you know uh, we did. We um, we we partnered in uh, in in the racetrack for actually what was the largest in the country. You know we we didn't want to do something small. We didn't want to just like make something happen for a hundred people. We we figured if we're going to do something, let let's let's go big. So that was uh, nine hundred cars in a parking lot. I mean it was. It was a big, big happening. We did a, we did a bunch of those, and I mean, it was one of the beginning of the pivot that we did. Let me ask you: uh, COVID nineteen has made what you're doing more difficult and more challenging, but it is also many people believe, and I'd like you to elaborate on this, Adam, that it's also made it clear how important the arts really are in our lives. Listen, I mean, one hundred percent. I mean, first of all, there wasn't a commercial that you saw during COVID, you know, during the, the quarantine era where somebody wasn't reaching for uh, a, mus a musical instrument, singing on a balcony, dancing with family, you know, there was definitely, a, a, I think, a reconnection to, to the arts and the need to be expressing ourselves. So that's the good piece. Um, you know, I think the problem was this perception that by being somewhere publicly, consuming the arts, it was going to be the problem. That's where it was all going to break down. And that's why I think we were the slowest to open. But, but we have been, I think, more committed to our mission and the need for, for the arts to be part of the healing as we come out of this, because we're not out of it yet. Right. You know, let, let's do this. By the way, uh, Mom, I know you're watching. My mother, who is, I'm, I'm never going to say her age. She made me promise. She's just taken up playing the piano. And you just proved the point by saying that. She was telling me literally two days ago. I said, Ma, is it a good time? She goes, it's the best time. So there it is. 
And we, we totally, we, and we've seen that. I think because, because of virtual, it, that's one thing it did make it easier. You know, you didn't have to drive. I, I, would, I would make a pretty hefty wager that, that your mom is, uh, is taking a class online. Am I right? If she can no. turn the computer on, yes. I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry Ma. Don't edit that out. No. Um, yeah, go ahead. Why? But, but are you saying people are learning how to play instruments, learning how to do things online as well as in person? Absolutely. I think, I think the, the virtual world has definitely shown that it's easier. Um, you know, it's easier for parents. It's easier for kids. You know, you don't have to drive an hour for a lesson. Listen, I'm not saying that there's not an incredible value to be in a room, right? I mean, there's only so much longer we can we can handle the Zoom. You need to have that human connection, but but it but it absolutely works. Parents that have their kids doing a lot are are actually you know very grateful to be able to be home and 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 have their kids zooming in for a guitar lesson or a, a violin lesson. So yeah, we've seen we've seen lessons go up. I'm doing this for us. We're doing a series um, called New Jersey Leaders Who Matter. And Count Basie, Red Bank, his connection, he matters and he mattered and matters greatly. Why is he a leader who matters? You know, he was, uh, first of all, he's from Red Bank. Um, but I mean, you know, he was a, he, he was a maverick in, in his time, self-taught. You know, he used to go to a movie theater that's no longer here, but down on, on uh, in Red Bank, and uh, would watch the silent films and watch the, the the person who was doing the piano and sort of taught himself. Then had some lessons. Apparently, the story goes the the person who was the accompanist of the silent movies was sick, and uh, he jumped in, and he never stopped playing. And I just think uh, you know that's why he's so important. He's so important to our community, and and. Uh, one of the reasons Red Bank is is a popular place. And so when we had the opportunity to put his name on this venue, I think it just drove in the importance of the arts, the importance of jazz, the importance of of what uh, what music means to this community. Let me ask you something. Uh, for those of us who lead nonprofits, it's there's often some connection, some personal uh, connection, the passion that we feel, whoever we are, whatever we do. What's your connection to the arts? Uh, so yeah, I had an arts background. I mean, uh, listen, I'm, I'll be an artist forever, but I was a theater actor, uh, was on Broadway, a bunch of national tours, movies, TV, just did, did a lot of the, the, uh, the work as a working actor. But at some point, you know, wanted to uh, step away from being in the front and kind of be behind. And I think what's just fantastic for me and the connection that I've been able to make is that I know what it, what it means to be sitting with an audience of 2,000 people and how you have to take someone from point A to point B through, uh, through a story and take them on that journey. And even though I'm not on the stage, you know, I, I bring that from behind the stage and that's what we try to create here. You know, you're taking someone on a journey from the second they see that the show is on sale to the minute they leave, you're taking them on a journey. Hey, speaking of journeys, real quick, we got about uh, 30 seconds left. Uh, philanthropic support of what you do is critically important. Corporate foundation support, right? Absolutely. If we no money, no mission. Uh, no, no doubt. I mean, we have been so blessed by not only our board of trustees, uh, but this community who rallied when we closed our doors and said, "You are not closing," and uh, and kept us open. If you ever see that kind of support. I mean, yes, we had unbelievable support to build a $27 million campus, but the support that we saw before we were about to close our doors, like everyone during, during COVID, 
is something that uh, recommitted us all to our mission forever. And by the way, I want to thank the folks at the Bank of America who um, actually encouraged us and talked to us about the work going on at the Count Basie Center for the Arts. Uh, Adam, we thank you. We wish you and the family at Count Basie all the best and beautiful Red Bank down at the Jersey Shore. Hey, uh, Adam, all the best. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Take care. I'm Steve Adubato. Thank you so much for watching, and we'll see you next time. To see more Think Tank with Steve Adubato programs and to listen to Think Tank with Steve Adubato, the podcast, visit us online at steveadubato.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD. And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation. Funding has been provided by Bank of America, PSE&G, Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, the New Jersey Economic Development Authority, Choose New Jersey, the New Jersey Board of Public Utilities Clean Energy Program, the Fidelco Group, Johnson & Johnson, and by Caldwell University. Promotional support provided by New Jersey Globe and by New Jersey Monthly. Every day, nearly 2 million customers across New Jersey rely on PSE&G to provide natural gas. And every day, PSE&G is committed to doing it safely. That includes making sure you know what to do if you smell gas. A natural gas leak smells like rotten eggs. If you suspect a gas leak, leave your home immediately. Get far away, then call 911. Remember, smell, leave, call. Protect the ones you love. Learn more at pscg.com slash gas safety. New Jersey's Clean Energy Program offers financial incentives for New Jersey residents, business owners, and local governments to help save energy, money, and the environment. Learn more at NewJerseyCleanEnergy.com or call 1-866-NJ-SMART. New Jersey's Clean Energy Program. We're lighting the way to a clean energy future.